Well, good morning. We're here to uh, continue in our study of Romans, and we've reached chapter 11, Romans 11 today. Um, I, I tried to fit it all in, in one session, but um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and I decided not to do that because of how controversial the end of Romans can be. So uh, we're just going to hit verses 1 through 24 today. Uh, So if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to open there and follow along with me. Romans chapter 11. Um, Where we're at in Romans is that Paul is dealing with the Israel question. Beginning in chapter 9, beginning to answer the Israel question, what about Israel? What about God's promises to the Jews? What about the Old Testament, the circumcision, the law, the the worship of God, the temple? What does all that mean in light of this gospel now that you're saying is to both Jew and Gentile received only by faith? That's the big question. So begins to answer that question in Romans 9 by by pointing back to God's sovereignty and salvation. All right, let's lay the groundwork and say and make sure you understand that God shows mercy to whom He chooses to show mercy, and He hardens whom He wills. He, he goes on there at the end of chapter 9 and into chapter 10 to speak more clearly about how salvation is by grace through faith. It is given as a gift. It is not received by works. That answers some of the Israel question because they had the law. Salvation is not by obedience to the law. In chapter 10, he continues to go on and make it clear, look, God uses means. The hearing of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the sending of ministers, etc. So just because God is sovereign does not mean that we are not responsible. We are responsible for if we reject the gospel. And so this kind of answers the question. He answers it twofold. And it may not satisfy you, but it's the answer. Israel, the Jews, they have not come to faith because God has not had mercy on them and because of their refusal to believe. It's both. That's kind of the Israel question at this point. And, and, you know, just to take a step back and, and to remind you here, we, we tend to look at Romans 11 specifically, and we tend to think about, okay, and I'm going to get to this in a moment. At the end, it says that all Israel is going to be saved. And we tend to immediately run to questions of the end times and the nation of Israel and eschatology. Paul's dealing with something a little bit different here. His main thing is, I mean, the Jews were persecuting the church. The main question wasn't, is all of Israel going to be saved? Is God going to restore the nation? The question for them is, is any Jew ever going to be saved again? Is any Israelite ever going to be a believer? That's, kind of, that's the question, as we'll see, that he's really wrestling, uh, that he's dealing with in that context, and we need to remember that. So part of his answer to the question is, The persecution that you're seeing right now by the Jews, 
The opposition to the gospel that we are experiencing as the church in Rome is because God has withheld mercy from them and because they have refused to believe. It's both. So that's the context. This leads to Romans 11. It leads to one of the most difficult and the most, one of the most controversial chapters in all the New Testaments. Very hard to understand. Even within conservative circles and even within reform circles, even within confessionally reform circles, you find a variety of different opinions on this chapter. I mean, you can look at John Calvin and R.C. Sproul right there. Two different views on this chapter. Um, chances are, if you just polled your favorite theologians, they would all have a different view on this chapter. Slightly different view. <clears throat> the question, really the issue, what makes it so difficult is this statement at the very end of the chapter. What does it mean that all Israel will be saved? In this way, all Israel will be saved. That's what makes this chapter so difficult. And I hate to tell you, but that's the question we're going to answer next week. Sorry. We're only going to make it to 24 today. Um, I, there's just too much. I, I wanted to do it all at once. You have to look at all the chapter, uh, the whole chapter at once, but we're not going to be able to make it that far today. Nevertheless, this is what makes it, we're going to begin to answer this question, and this is what makes this, this chapter difficult to understand. What does it mean when Paul concludes by saying, in this way, all Israel will be saved? This has led to endless eschatology debates. And kind of showing my cards right here, but some theologians, some people allow this verse to take precedence over anything and everything else the Bible says on the end times. And I find that very, very unfortunate. They, they take this passage, they say, okay, verse 26 means this, I'm going to use this verse to interpret everything else on the end times. And, and I, I think that's foolish. I think it's foolish because just if you read the chapter, everybody has a different opinion. It's a very hard chapter to understand. We ought to take statements in Scripture that are more clear and have the clear passages inform the more difficult ones rather than vice versa. Nevertheless, we're going to get there, all right? Um, as we begin, though, what I want to emphasize is don't miss the forest for the trees. Endless eschatology debates. What does it mean that all Israel is going to be saved? But the main point that Paul is making here should be crystal clear, and we ought not to miss it. The main point is Paul's warning against pride with both Jew and Gentile. That's the point of the chapter, as we'll see. He is warning both groups about pride, about presumption, about looking down upon the other group, whether Jew or Gentile. And his end goal is, is adoration of God, praise and, and humble reverence at the wisdom and power and plan of God. That's why he ends with a doxology. Beautiful uh, doxology there in, in 33 through 35 where he just kind of breaks out in praise. And who's known the mind of the, of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. That's his point. He wants to exalt God in his wisdom and his power so as to humble human pride. And, and in that way, 
work towards racial unity in the church. So, don't miss the main point. Don't get caught up on questions of eschatology and miss what really Paul wants to communicate here. So, um, what we're going to do today and kind of next week, it's going to be pretty didactic. It's going to just, I'm just going to walk through the verses. Um, I'm not going to put, I haven't put together anything, you know, catchy. I haven't put together big headings that kind of give us the big picture. I just want to, verse by verse, we're going to walk through it and try to make sense of what Paul is saying here. Um, Not going to get into a lot of details, not going to get into a lot of opinions, not going to get into a lot of the controversial aspects. I want to give you the big picture, and I want to give you what I believe to be the correct interpretation of chapter 11 in light of the context and in light of what other scripture teaches. Um, And as I said, we'll get to the real controversial stuff next week, but it should be pretty clear today where... Where I stand on verse 26, you'll begin to see some of that. Even still, if you disagree with me on verse 26, that's okay. Um, As I mentioned before, there are a lot of different opinions on this. For example, R.C. Sproul. I highly respect R.C. Sproul. I disagree with him on this chapter. He's written a lot on it. Anyway, we'll get to that. All right, so let's begin in verse 1. And, and the, the, the main question, the main question, verse 1, I asked then, has God rejected his people? Has he abandoned Israel? Has he abandoned them and turned to the Gentiles instead? Has he written them off? Are they done? Are they over? Are they condemned? That's, that's his question. And it's a legitimate question. And again, I tell you, this really gives us insight into what was the the mindset or what the issue they were struggling with in that church. The Jews were persecuting the church. They wanted blood. You know, it would be like us looking out at, at, uh, in some respect, um, Islam. They're waging war. They want to kill us. Are there any Muslims that are ever going to be saved? Has God totally rejected them? It's kind of in that respect. Has he abandoned Israel and turned to the Gentiles? And his question and his answer is, no. By no means. And he gives three kind of arguments for this. Verse 2, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. Sorry, this is verse 1 a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's point is, I am living proof that God has not rejected Israel. Me, right here, today. I'm a convert. I'm a Jew. I rejected the gospel. I persecuted the church. But God saved me. And let me just say, I'm going to come back to this next week. This is really the key point, I think, in the chapter. One of the key points in the chapter. Got to understand that Paul is saying, look, God is still saving Israelites. And I am living proof of that. So God has not rejected Israel. Paul says, I'm proof. Then he says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Verse 2. 
foreknowledge, as we've looked at back in chapter 8, means to forelove. Knowledge in Scripture denotes intimacy, a covenantal knowing. Adam knew his wife and they conceived. Well, to know the Lord in a covenantal sense, Jeremiah uh, 31, the prophecy of the new covenant, they shall all know the Lord from the least of them to the greatest. Uh, To be in covenant with God, to know God is to know God, and to know God is to be saved, is to be loved. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Paul is basically saying God set his love on Israel in ages past. Those whom he foreknew, harking back to chapter 8, verse 29, will come to faith. And remember, I'm one of them, Paul is saying. And, and then you might ask, well, well, how do we know that God foreknew Israel, that, that God foreloved Israel? Um, he goes on to say in verses 2-5, through five, because he's always reserved a remnant among them. Do you not know, verse 2, what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. On one hand, Paul is saying, look, what we're seeing now is what's always been the case. Elijah thought, I'm the only believer in Israel left. God's rejected his people, or they've rejected you. God reminds Elijah there that I've kept for myself these 7,000 men. And so the point, Paul is saying, look, at the present time. You see, this goes back to his first answer. I am evidence that God has not rejected his people because I'm a Jew and I persecute the church and I have been saved. Well, also, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. There is a remnant who have been foreknown, who have been foreloved. God has preserved them. And it's not based upon them. You can't look out at Israel and say, well, they're just, they're just going to reject their Messiah. There's no hope here. Because God has preserved a remnant. He will save His people. And it is a remnant that is chosen by grace, not by works, not because they deserve it, not because they're going to earn it. So, you see that the... The answer to the question then. And I just want to emphasize this. You can see where I'm going. When Paul answers the question, has God rejected his people? Does he point to the present or does he point to the future? The present. present at the present time i myself am an israelite so many people read this chapter to justify an end time restoration of israel paul really focuses on the here and now that's the point 
getting ahead of myself. Remember, it's okay to disagree with me, okay? (laughs) It's okay. All right, second question then. Verse 7. What are you saying, Paul? What then? What are you saying? That Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? Really? His answer is yes, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect in Israel obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Uh, Think back here to the opening part of uh, chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Paul says that being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Um, Israel sought to obtain righteousness, but they sought to obtain it the wrong way because they sought to establish their own. Only the elect in Israel obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Uh, to, To back this up, Paul quotes the Psalms. And he uh, quotes from the Psalms and he quotes from Isaiah as well in verses 8 and 9. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. God gave them a spirit of stupor. This is God's sovereignty at work here. He gave them eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Again, the focus is present. What's going on right now? God made them stupid. He gave them eyes that wouldn't see the gospel and ears that would not hear the gospel. Even that is going on right now. And then he quotes the Psalms. As David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. A stumbling block and a a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Um. What he's hitting on, hitting on here is, you know, when he speaks of hardening, um, this calls to mind judicial hardening. And certainly God's sovereignty is in play, but judicial hardening is, is typically in Scripture for, for pride and for self-righteousness. And uh, because grace and mercy has, have been rejected which serves as a, as a warning to us. God hardened Israel for seeking to establish their own righteousness, and he still operates in that manner today. So what the church was presently seeing, the Jews reject the gospel and persecute them. Paul is saying, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. Isaiah and David prophesied of this. Yes. Absolutely. It is, particularly in Deuteronomy, 
that it, uh, comes out very, very clear at the end of the, uh, um, at the, the formal reading and the reestablishment of the covenant. Absolutely, yeah. It, 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 you're right in the sense of, okay, it, it, it appears in Moses, it appears um, at the time of the prophets as well, the end of the, uh, of course, after, you know, after David and the kingship um, uh, of Israel, uh, that downward slide. And I think it all kind of goes back to what, what Paul just said, that you know, there's always been a remnant, and a remnant typically calls to mind a, a smaller group out of a large and um, in Israel's history is, 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 is a sad kind of um, testimony to that, even in the Old Testament, even when they had all the promises of God and the worship of God and the blessings of God. Which is why the glories of the new covenant are so, so much better, so glorious, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Um, something that Israel did not have in the Old Testament in the same manner. So Paul is saying what the church is seeing was a fulfillment of Scripture. And, and again, it goes back to how, you know, no matter how you read this passage, the sovereignty of God is really inescapable. It really is. Uh, these two quotations about what God is doing in Israel that God was giving them these things, that God was laying these snares before them. Um, God's sovereignty is inescapable. But, but the answer to the question, has Israel failed to obtain what it is seeking? The elect within Israel have obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Third question here, verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And this, he's building his argument, he's getting to more of the heart of the issue here. Is Israel, are the Jews going to finally, finally and fully fall away? Reject the gospel, be lost. Remember again, that's the question really that's in their minds. They're not thinking of, you know, they're, they're thinking is, you know, is any Israelite ever again going to receive the gospel, be saved? By no means, Paul says, this is part of God's sovereign plan. That's what he goes on to answer there in verse 11 and down. He says here in verse 11, rather... Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. This is God's sovereign plan, he, he's going on to say. This is what, really the, 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 the gist of the rest of the chapter. You've got you to focus on what God is doing here. That's why he breaks out at the end about God's wisdom and ways and inscrutable, inscrutable wisdom. God is doing this. You've got to step back and see what God is doing here. That's his point. 
Israel rejected their Messiah, so the gospel went to the Gentiles. This, in turn, leads the Gentiles to receive the gospel, which makes Israel jealous. And here, just think about the, um, the cycle that we see in the book of Acts. It's, it's repeated again and again. The gospel, where does it go after Pentecost? It goes to the Jews. And it's preached in synagogues. That's where the apostles go. That's the only thing they knew to do. Um, in fact, they didn't even believe that the gospel was for the Gentiles initially. The gospel's preached in a synagogue. This stirs up the Jewish community. Most of them respond with great hostility. This causes the apostles to be like, well, they won't hear the gospel, so I guess we'll turn to the Gentiles instead. And when they do, they see the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. And they're like, wow, okay, I guess, the whole, I guess God has granted them repentance that leads to eternal life, is, is what they say. And, and the result, in the end, is a multi-ethnic church of Jews and Gentiles together. So if you look at it this way, if Israel had received their Messiah from day one, it would have been very easy for the early Jewish Christians to conclude that the gospel was just for Israel. What impetus would there be then to take the gospel to the nations and across the globe and to every tongue and tribe and nationality and to risk life and limb to take it to unknown people groups and pagans and idol worshipers if all Messiah, uh, all the Jews had accepted their Messiah initially? It would have been very easy to conclude that. So Paul's point is, this is God's sovereign plan. This is what he designed. He hardened Israel so that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. And when the gospel goes to the Gentiles and they receive the blessings, the Jews look at that and they say, they're using our scriptures, they're calling upon a Messiah prophesied in our Old Testament, and it makes them jealous. And making them jealous is a a means by which God brings them in as well. It's God's plan. So i got a question for you. Verse 12. If their trespass means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? My question for you is, does full inclusion point to a future restoration? Is Paul saying, okay, Israel's trespass brought riches to the world. Their failure brought riches to the Gentiles. So one day, when they are fully included... How much more will that bring blessing to the world? Are you guys scared to answer, <laughs> Andrew? National level. That's what. I, no, I'm asking you. That's the, that's part of the question. Mark. <laughs> it's a question mark. Oh, oh. Because grammatically, I would have expected a question mark, but 
it's a, you know, of course, um, that's not included in the original language. So that's, that's added by the translators. And there is a theological reasoning behind that, which is why reading the original languages can be very important because you've got to determine whether that's a question mark or a period or an exclamation mark. Karen? So you're saying, could full inclusion be just the whole body of the elect of Israel at the, at the last day? All of Israel will stand before God and are included in God's judgment. Well, I, okay, I haven't thought about that, if I understand you correctly. They're not exempt from the final judgment, of course. Okay. I'm sorry, can you say it louder? Okay. 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 It could mean restoration or damnation. Well, my answer to that, many take the, the verse in the way of future restoration, but I don't. That is, they read this verse and they say, Paul is pointing toward a day of full inclusion. Some extreme would say every one day every living Israelite of a particular generation will receive the gospel. Some people say just the majority of Israel at a future time will receive the gospel. There's going to be a mass revival in Israel at some point in the future. Now, dispensationalists point this to be the millennial age, um, which I'm not going to get into all that. Um, I... I, I <laughs> I'm going to have to... <laughs> Uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe in a future millennial age as dispensationalists define it. Um, as they define it. But, but a lot of people look at it that way. That, that Paul is pointing towards a day when the majority or all of Israel is going to receive the gospel and that's going to cause double riches upon the world. Uh, but I don't read it that way. I, I think he's just giving a hypothetical and he's even looking at it on an individual basis. If a Jew rejecting the gospel leads to Gentile conversions, imagine what happens when a Jew accepts the gospel. I think that's his point. If they reject the gospel and it leads to riches for the world, what about when an Israelite receives the gospel? When they're, when they're, when they're included? What will that mean? So, We'll get into more of that next week, but I, I throw that out for you just for your contemplation. We can come back to that. Doug? Could this be he's just redefining what Israel means? Well, that, that's what we'll get into next week as well. Um, yeah, in some sense, he tends to speak about 
um, you know, Israel according to the flesh, and then of course he speaks of the Israel of God. Um, already in this book, if you flip back to, to Romans chapter 2, he defines the end of 2, a Jew, verse 28, no one is a Jew merely outwardly. A Jew, verse 29, is one inwardly. Circumcision, a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. So in some sense, <laughs> there's, there's ethnic Jews and there's spiritual Jews. And because we are united to the Jew of Jew, Jesus our Messiah, we are spiritual Jews. We are the Israel of God. We are uh, Philippians chapter 3, the true circumcision. Uh, circumcision would be another synonym for what a Jew is. We are Galatians 3, children of Abraham, another definition of what it means to be a Jew, an Israelite. So yes, spiritually we are, we are Jews. We are Israel. Um, and the, the, some of the difficulty of this chapter is determining, is he talking about you know, ethnic lines here, or is he talking about spiritual Israel here? And that's part of the, real, the challenge, because he doesn't always define himself. Uh, but that's good, that's good. Okay, but in this sense, though, in this passage, verse 12 particularly, I do believe, because he's mentioned Gentiles and jealousy, I do believe he's speaking in ethnic, physical terminology. Karen? You're going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> That's a great question. And, and uh, I'm tracking with you. Um, I, I, I will say that to be a Jew, to be, to, do, to be a Jew, to be an Israelite, according to the Scriptures, means that you can trace your genealogy back to Abraham. Um, since the exile, that has been impossible. All the genealogical records were lost. Um, and so the Israelites and the Jews today um, are only so because of really tradition or because of the land in which they live in. And I don't believe it's defined in terms that the Old Testament does. That raises a whole other host of questions. Jonathan? Ah, you're right. You're right. I would, uh, uh, it's uh, really A.D. 70 when everything was, was fully and finally dis destroyed. You're right. I'm sorry. Not the exile. Kim? So, if, as you said, the end of this chapter, the, the end goal is this humility and praise and adoration, then full inclusion means there's going to be a repentance of the way that they have been thinking up to this point and an acceptance, then, of God's plan that they have not seen at this point. That's the question at hand. And that's what I'm saying. I, I don't believe the chapter teaches that. So that, that's not what full inclusion No, I don't. I believe full inclusion, I'm going to defend this next week, I believe full inclusion in this chapter refers to the, save, the, the, the remnant. Not, not some sort of mass revival. Yes. But again, really good theologians differ on this. It's not a matter of, of importance 
Second, it's, it's secondary importance, not a matter of critical importance, especially in the church. I mean, I'm going to disagree with R.C. Sproul on this, and um, I embrace Sproul's eschatology by and large. I, I you know, but I, I disagree. I, I, I just, I'm not convinced by this chapter, and, I, and I'll have to lay the full argument out next week. But I'll throw it out for your thinking for now. Um, we have 10 minutes. I'm sorry, is there a question? We have 10 minutes, so I, I really got to to make sure we can get to that next week. Let me, let me move quickly here. All right. Verse 13, if you'll notice, Paul moves to speak directly to the Gentiles. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. And what's his point there? Well, he goes on to use a lot of imagery. He talks about a lump of dough and the first fruits. He talks about root and branches of an olive tree. He talks about being broken off and being grafted in. And, and we're going to, briefly define that but but don't miss the main point the main point is he's warning against arrogance that's his main point we see that in verse the end of verse 20 he says it again somewhere in there his main point is to warn against arrogance And he wants to challenge the Gentiles to love and evangelize the Jews. That's the main point, no matter how you define the details. So, verse 13 through 16. He makes the point that his ministry to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, is part of God's sovereign plan. He makes a point that just as the Gentiles only heard the gospel because the Jews rejected it, now the Jews only believe because they are jealous at God's blessing the Gentiles. And his point in this respect is, Gentiles, you ought to desire the acceptance of the Jews as life from the dead. If their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Don't you want Jews to accept the gospel? And then he goes on to the, uh, the, the, the olive tree, and, and there's an important horticultural lesson here uh, that, that we need to, uh, it's necessary to understand this. Um, if an olive tree ceases to bear fruit, you can graft it, with, with a shoot of a wild olive, and the sap reinvigorates the tree. Uh, the wild olive branch is able to draw life and produce life because of the nourishment that it derives from the tree, and this reinvigorates the whole tree. Um, so that's the horticultural lesson. His point in that is that some of the Jews were broken off, verse 17. So some of the, Wild branches were grafted in, and they share these wild branches, get their nourishment from the root of the tree. And in this way, both the branch and the tree flourish. So in this sense, verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Don't you know that the Jewish roots of the tree support you? They're your nourishment. Verse 19 and 20. Branches were broken off so that wild branches might be grafted in. 
that is true, verse 20, but they were broken off because of unbelief. You stand fast only by faith. So do not become proud. End of verse 20. Don't become proud, but fear. Because faith is not a work. It's not of yourself. Because God broke them off for self-righteousness, and He can and would, will do the same for you. If you fall away from faith, the key is faith. Note then the kindness and severity of God. One of those statements in Scripture that really stick with me. There's a world of there's a world of truth in that statement. It's it's pretty astounding. Oh, the kindness and the severity of God. Contemplate that. It is humble and awe-inspiring because he shows mercy to whom he shows mercy and he hardens whom he wills to harden. Note the kindness and severity of God. Note that God is able to graft them back in via faith. Verse 23, and note as well, there's only one way of salvation. If you've ever heard people speak of how there are some prominent dispensationalists who would say, well, if Israel just follows the Old Testament and and as best of their knowledge, they don't need the New Testament, they don't need Jesus, they could still be saved under the Old Testament. Um, There's two ways of salvation, one for a Jew, one for a Gentile. Absolutely not. There's one way of salvation. God is only able uh, to graft them back in via faith if they do not continue in their unbelief. In verse 24, if a wild branch can be grafted, grafted in, how much more can a natural branch be grafted in? This goes back to the idea of full inclusion in verse 12. And he says this to encourage and to stimulate love and evangelism for the Jews. So, let me give you my conclusion and and we got to wrap up. The Gentiles must recognize that we are beneficiaries of Israel's religion, of the patriarchs, of the scriptures, of the worship, of the Messiah. This is the tree. We derive our, the root of our faith from all of these things that were given to Israel. The Gentiles haven't taken over the house of Abraham. Rather, we are guests in the house of Abraham. And this gets to the question of, has Israel been set aside and replaced? Maybe you've heard before, that's replacement theology. Uh, no, it's one tree. We're one body. Gentiles have been added to the tree of Israel. We are Israel. That's why it's problematic to look for a future restoration of Israel because we are Israel, as we talked about earlier. We are spoken of in Scripture as the Israel of God, the true circumcision. The Jew has been inwardly circumcised by the Spirit. We have been added in to all the promises. So any future restoration of Israel is our future restoration as well. That's the heart of Galatians. Read the book of Galatians. You're children of Abraham. You're heir of all the promises. There's not one promise that's made to any Old Testament or New Testament Israelite that isn't given to you and me as well. Again, why a future restoration of the nation is problematic. We are all together. We are the Israel of God. This is 
uh, what he concludes here. So, in the face of strife and hostility that was going on at the time, it was inappropriate for the Gentiles to disrespect the Jews. And he strives to make it clear that the Gentiles haven't been grafted in by works or because they're superior or because they're more worthy, but it's all because of God's grace received by faith. And so, do not presume. Do not presume that you're special. Remember God's favor, uh, excuse me, the presumption of God's favor because of their great heritage, their parental line, was the error of the Jews. They thought they were born into the great privileges of God. Paul is saying, do not presume you can be cut off as well. Stand firm by faith and faith alone. Yeah, I got one more slide, I'm sorry. But this is it. So to conclude what we've seen today, he's explaining Israel's situation by emphasizing God's sovereign plan and by emphasizing Israel's unbelief and how they both go together. This is to humble the Gentiles, but also fill us with hope that God still saves a remnant. At this present time, there's still a remnant. And the goal is to love and evangelize across ethnic lines produce humility on both sides and lead to adoration in the glory of God and the sovereign plan of God in all things. So we'll come back to this next week. I'll start with a conclusion so that we remember what we saw. I had to really skip through it here at the end. But this, I think, is very important to understanding the difficult and controversial section of 25 through 36. And... um, So we will come back to that next week.